Good evening. Good to be back at Mabel. I was given the title, Redeeming the Time. Um, so you can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we'll start. This is one of two places in Scripture where that phrase is used. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16 <clears throat> say this. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. As I said, I was assigned this title, and we're going to do sort of a, a deep dive maybe on what these words mean, but first I want to I talk about something, I want us to think about something that is maybe more on a, on a surface level, um, an idea that is born out of that phrase, redeeming the time. The Christian life is about doing. In these verses we read about redeeming the time, it's redeeming the time, not passing the time. Redeeming the time is not waiting it out and trying not to mess up. If your thought is, as long as I don't do anything wrong, God is happy, Read Matthew 25. Jesus says, I was sick, you visited me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. You won't stand at judgment day and tell God, I avoided doing wrong things. But all too often our pattern is, or, or our thought pattern is, as long as I avoid the wrong things, as long as I don't mess up, I'm okay. That's passing the time. That's not redeeming the time. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Just want to read one verse here, a familiar verse for us. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. Did you notice Paul there does not give us a list of things we aren't supposed to think about? We're not told here what not to do. We are instead told what to do. So if you struggle to get anything tonight, if you struggle to follow or find my train of thought, or if you're going to forget most of what was said, um, Sit up and, and listen to this. This is something I want to make sure goes home with you. The Christian is called to action, not inaction. Ask, seek, knock. Those are the commands we find. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The golden rule is a call to action. Do unto others. Now, are we as Christian called to abstain? Are we called to avoid some things? Yes. Um, the Christian is called to abstain from hate, to not do hating. Is that really the point? Love your enemies, Jesus said. The Apostle Peter said, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Are we as Christian called to abstain from pride? Yes. Philippians 2, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Is the point to be empty of ourselves? Is the point to be empty? Obviously not. The point 
is to be filled with God and to consider others. And we need to make ourselves empty of ourselves. No, that's not the way to put it. We need to be empty of ourselves to make room for God. That verse in Philippians, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, finishes, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. In Romans 13, we read that we put off sin and we put on Jesus. I don't think I'll turn there for the sake of time this evening, but in Colossians 3, there are two lists. Colossians 3, 5 through 9, um, Paul tells us that we're supposed to put to death our members which are of the earth, and he tells us to avoid a whole list of things. Put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And that sounds like a Christian to us. We put off those things, and that sounds like a Christian. That's, that's what God wants us to be, right? But if we stop there after that first list, we have not yet done what God wants. We aren't even halfway home. We've just started. And I think many people think of the Christian life as a life of abstaining. It's a life of emptying, of giving up. But we're only seeing part of the journey, if that's what we see. We get it. We're getting rid of what needs to be gotten rid of to make room for the filling. There in Colossians, right after that list of these things you put off, he says that you put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And yes, there are benefits that come from abstaining when we're talking about sin and what God calls his people to depart from. God's way is not out of whimsy. It's not out of caprice. His way is right because it's right, because he is right. So God says don't to get rid of sin and to keep us from dragging down those around us. But we can never stop there. We look forward and figure out what he wants us to do. Remember, the Christian's calling is action, not inaction. So every time you come to a don't, find the do. Think about Paul. He said, flee. He said it a few times. He said, flee fornication, flee earthly lusts, uh, flee youthful lusts, flee idolatry. Is the point that you keep running? Is that the point? Just flee? No, you flee the sin and run to God for what he wants you to do. So the first lesson for this evening is we are not called to pass the time. We are called to redeem the time. This is not a case of God left us here, and as long as we don't mess up between now and when he comes back, everything's okay. He left us here with purpose. Now, for the second part of the lesson of the evening. When I was given this title, I started digging into the words that were used here to make sure I wasn't missing um, missing too much or lo uh, losing too much in translation. And so I want to look at the word redeeming here. The phrase we're thinking of is redeeming the time from here in Ephesians 5. The Greek word used, and I'll try not to bore you too much with getting nerdy, um, but the Greek word used here is exogorizo, which I'm probably not pronouncing correctly, it comes from two Greek words, ek, which means from out of, and agorizo, which is to purchase. And it, uh, exogorizo appears four times in the Bible. Here in Ephesians chapter 5, it 
It's also used in Colossians 4. That's the other place where we have this phrase. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Then the other two times this word is used is in Galatians 3, where it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And in Galatians 4, where it says, so that he, Jesus, might redeem those who were under the law. Exegorzo is a marketplace term. So when someone would be redeemed from slavery, which is a good parallel for me um, as I think about what Christ redeemed me from, they were purchased. They were purchased out of, they were exegorzo, of their slavery. So what then is being redeemed? What then is being purchased here in Colossians 5 and in here in Ephesians 5 and over in Colossians 4, this redeeming the time. The Greek word for time used here is kairos. This is not just the any this is not just any idea of time. There's a couple different words that were used in Greek that we would translate time. Kairos, the word here, is not about minutes and seconds. Instead, Kairos has the idea of the right time. So it can be a predetermined time or an opportune time. So if we were saying, um, all right, it looked like there was food back there. So if we're saying, um, how much time left until snack? That would not be Kairos. That would not be the word that he used here. That would be a word you may have heard of, chronos, um, just the passing of minutes and seconds, how much time left until snack. But if we would say, is it time for snack? That's the word here. That's the kairos word, the, the specific time. <clears throat> so it's not about the flow of time or a specific measurement of time. carries the idea of the right time. So one is speaking of time in in minutes and seconds, chronos, kairos, what we have here is speaking of a point in time or a section of time. Kairos doesn't have to be an instant. It can be a window of time, like break time or a longer window of time, harvest time. That would be the word we're, we're looking at here, the word that Paul used. And so kairos is a time when you better get moving. Those crops, if we're talking about harvest time, are not going to harvest themselves. That is a limited time. The appointed time, the proper time, that slice of time where you have an opportunity, but that kairos is eventually going to slip away. It won't be there forever. So redeeming the time to exegorzo the kairos, you're purchasing the fleeting opportunities you're presented with. So another way to say it, um, a couple of other English translations use phrases like make the most of every opportunity or make the most of your time here for redeeming the time. Now, in these verses, it says redeeming the time because... Paul tells us we need to purchase those moments of opportunity because the days are evil. 
When Paul looked at the world around him, he saw he was living, like us, in evil times. Impurity, greed, idolatry, disgusting sin surrounded Paul, and they surround us. With all the evil swirling around us, our opportunities to do good will slip away if we don't act. Because the days are evil, the opportunities we have to do good, to bring glory to God, they're already kind of on an autopilot course to be swallowed up by our own busyness, our earthly mindsets and perspectives. Because the days are evil, if we just go with the flow of our culture, we will lead wasted lives. Because the days are evil, our sin nature is the default owner and decision maker concerning those little windows of time that we have to make a difference, unless we're intentional about coming to God with it. I think there are three main areas where we need to put the effort into redeeming the time. Well, no, that's probably not true. This evening, we're going to consider three main areas where we need to put the effort into redeeming the time. One is our relationship with God. One is our working for the good of our brothers and sisters, the building of the church. And one is the sharing of God's love and light to the lost. Let's consider our relationship with God for a moment through this lens of redeeming the time. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And we will look at the last few verses of this chapter. Luke 10, starting at verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the feet of at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. He says, one thing is necessary. Right there in verse 42, one thing is needed, one thing is necessary. Now, if a friend were to say that, friend were to come to me and say, one thing is necessary, or even if I was reading a really good book and it, it said, one thing is necessary in your life, I would say, this is simplistic. This is too simplistic. This can't be accurate. But this is Jesus. He's not being simplistic. He's simply cutting straight to the root of truth. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. And Jesus says, this one thing is necessary. He also said Mary had chosen the portion or chosen the part. So this good part, this good portion was necessary. It was the one necessary thing for her, but it was also a choice for her that she had to make. Our bodies won't survive more than a few days without water. It is necessary for life. But you and I still make choices every day to drink from a cup that literally sustains our life. And that's like the real literally, not the modern figurative literally. We choose to drink from a cup every day that literally sustains our life. 
because we need hydration. We need that water. What about your spiritual cup? Jesus said one thing is necessary. There is one thing you need. And that's to sit and hear his word. Let's look at some practical steps in this part of redeeming the time. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Our lives are hardly lives of stillness. But we either have to find or make that stillness. Because he says, Be still and know that I am God. I don't see a lot of stillness in my life. And if, if it's not there, then I need to make it. Do you have a dedicated time to commune with God, or is it just wherever you can fit it in? And I know there are seasons in life where it is wherever you can fit it in. I think especially of mothers of young children, um, that can be a season of life where they just have to fit it in where they can fit it in. But overall, your time at the feet of Jesus should not be where you can fit it in. It shouldn't shouldn't be something that you figure out how to put in your schedule. It should be the thing that you build your schedule around. With redeeming the time, I think of things like commuting time or time when I'm waiting on something else. If I, okay, if you have any real, I have a commute. If you have any real commute in your day, um, consider something like audio Bible CDs or an audio Bible app on your phone. Get sermon recordings. Um, maybe you don't have a commute, but maybe you do a school run or something like that. If you're alone on the road a lot, prayer time, that can be precious prayer time also. But that can be very much a a practical redeeming the time. It's a time, it's a season, it's a window of opportunity that's going to go away. What are you going to do with it? I found it extremely beneficial to have added um, a lot of of, uh, listening to audio Bible in my commute. It's made a big difference in my life. Maybe you have a doctor's appointment. Maybe you're going to wait at a shop for your vehicle. Um, Instead of catching up on your messages, maybe that's a good time to to get some time in the Word. And I'm I'm not trying to push, you need to use the Bible as filler in every part of your life. That, that's not, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm pushing. I'm asking, Are you taking seriously what Jesus calls the necessary thing, the needed thing? And are you intentional about redeeming the time in light of that? On the last two things I want to to talk about here this evening, working for the good of those around us, both, uh, what's the, what's the phrase that Paul uses of the household of faith? So, um, working for the good of those of the household of faith and also working for those who haven't yet accepted their needed Savior, we have a limited opportunity to make an impact. Evil is swirling 
in the world around us, and we have a finite amount of time to make an impact for God. And even, so I, th- I think of that as, I'm an age, uh, 34, I think, wait, something like that. Um, I've got a finite amount of time. Um, both of my grandfathers died not terribly old. I think my father's outlived both of them so far. Um, I don't have a lot of time left, frankly. And maybe some of you who are a couple years ahead of me are thinking, well, you've got plenty of time left. Um, but really, I don't. I really don't have that much time left. Um, I was ordained a couple years ago, and I started looking at preaching schedules and and how many opportunities I would get to preach. And I thought, you know, given a, a normal lifespan and um, and the church group I'm in, our kind of general preaching schedule, I don't know if I'm going to hit a thousand sermons in my in my life. And suddenly, each one of these started looking a little more precious. These are opportunities I get to, to look into God's Word and open it up. I might not even get a thousand of them over the course of my life. I've got a finite window. That, that kairos is a season. It's, it's not, but so long. But then even beyond that, the individual opportunities, the individual windows of time are fleeting. So, How much time do I have to make an impact on brother so-and-so, on the man I meet at the gas station, on whoever? So not only is my time limited just my time, but my time to interact with... Okay, so I really enjoyed spending a week at Berea School. Was that last week? No, two weeks ago. Um, I'm not so good with time. Um, with uh, the other one, Kronos. Um, I spent a week there, and I really enjoyed that to get to sit and talk with each of the high schoolers. Realistically, I would say there's a large portion of those I may never talk with again. Maybe they'll hear me preach, maybe not. But there's going to be a big chunk of them that probably I don't talk to again. Our circles aren't overlapping. Um, that was a that was a kairos that was a finite window of time to work to redeem for good the same is true in your relationships and what you do each day first peter 4 you can turn there if you'd like first peter 4 defines how we interact with our brothers and sisters in christ first peter 4 verses 8 through 11 Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom being the glory and and the dominion forever and ever. Amen.
Above all things, have fervent love for one another. So that's your mandate for how you relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Fervent love. Do I really? Okay, so this isn't my home congregation. So maybe I don't need fervent love for you guys, right? I don't think that that's quite true. But even if this was my home congregation, could I honestly stand there and say, I have fervent love for each and, one of, each and every one of you? What is fervent love anyway? I think of... I should have... wish I would have thought of this ahead of time and put it in my notes. Um, The end of the book of John. I think it's John 21. This is where I could really get in trouble with Kronos, um, leaving my outline here. John 21. So Peter is the one who wrote this. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. There in John 21, we have the interaction between Peter and Jesus. The, Peter, do you love me? Remember that? I won't read the verses here, but from verse 15 down through 19 is that interaction between Jesus and Peter. And I think we're all pretty familiar with it. But you have Peter saying, I mean, excuse me, Jesus saying, Simon, do you love me? And Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then he says again, do you love me? And we miss something here usually because we don't speak Greek. And I don't speak Greek either. Um, Look at this passage and get out your strongs sometime. Or or if you have an interlinear Bible. Um, There's two different words for love being used here. So I kind of nerded out a little bit earlier on redeeming and Kairos versus Kronos and all that. This This is even more important than the difference between Kairos and Kronos. What Jesus asks Peter, the first time he asks it, is, Peter, do you agape me? That's the love, the fervent love. That's the love that is unbreakable. That's the, we'll walk into gunfire for you. It's that kind of love. We'll walk to Calvary for you. It's that kind of love. Do you agape me, Peter? And Peter replies with, Lord, I phileo you, which is, you know, Philadelphia, the so-called city of brotherly love. That's from that, that Greek word, phileo. It's affection, kind of your brotherly, you know, what Davy and I have, right? You know, yeah, we have affection for each other, right? Um, so Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I have affection for you. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And again, Peter says, Lord, you know I have affection for you. And then in the third one, Jesus says, Peter, do you have affection for me? Peter, you, Jesus uses the word Peter's been using. He switches and basically says, do you even have affection for me? And that's why we have that verse where 
It says, uh, verse 17, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Peter was distressed that Jesus was now asking him not, would you walk into gunfire for me? But he's asking him, do you even have affection for me? And Peter says, yes, you know that I have affection for you. We're told to have zealous, agape love for each other. Our brothers and sisters. Not just have affection. Not just say, well, you know, I kind of enjoy hanging out with Davey. He's an okay guy. That's kind of nice to have too. But I'm supposed to have zealous, that fervent there. I'm supposed to have zealous, agape love. I'm supposed to be just burning up with, I'll stand between you and a bullet. Do we have that for each other? Is that really how we redeem the time as we interact with each other? Is that what drives us through life as we relate to our brothers and sisters? No, I'll change that. Is that what drives you through life as you relate to your brothers and sisters? Because that's an individual choice. It's not, that's not a we question. It's not if we're 51%, then hey, we're making it. That's a one-on-one, each one of us has to answer that. Okay, back to my outline. There in First Peter, one of them that stands out to me, so we're, we're told that the underlying motivation and how we interact with each other is to be that burning, white-hot, that fervent love, the love that will go through anything for each other. He also says, be hospitable without grumbling. That one gets me. Um, so not only do I have to do things for you folks, but I have to like it. Not only do I have to, you know, come through a cold, rainy day down to Harrisonburg, and Harrisburg ain't all that great, and, you know, I got to come down here and and preach to you guys. But I also can't, you know, go home and tell my wife, oh, you know, that was three hours of my life I'm not getting back. Well, no. Be hospitable without grumbling. We act in that love with joy. We don't, we don't complain about the opportunities we get to put that love into shoe leather, to put that love into an actual interaction. I don't, I can't grudgingly do it and mutter about it. I don't get to remind myself about the sacrifices I'm making for brother so-and-so. We use what we get to minister, to serve and be servants to one another. I won't spend time this evening talking about how much I love the terminology, the manifold grace of God, but that is just, you can have a whole message on just that. Um, I'll simply say, you are stewards of God's grace. Act like it. One practical piece of advice is, as we relate as brothers and sisters, consider your brothers and sisters, think about one of them, and then ask yourself, What's something really nice if, 
what would be something really nice that someone could do for them? Like think of it as a third party thing. Um, so it's really dangerous to use examples. Um, something that has occurred to me is our deacon and his wife, they have been under quite a load for quite some time. And every once in a while I think, you know, they really do love to travel and get to, to catch up with friends and family. And wouldn't it just be really nice if some of us could pitch in and figure out how to make sure that the business could stay going. Some of us could pitch in and make sure that church responsibilities were taken care of. And we could just say, take two weeks and, and go catch up with some of your friends and family. You know, take a nice little trip. I think that would just be really special for them. Now I've got to figure out a way, how can I be a part of making that happen? So the same thing for you. Look at the people around you and just think of those. It would be really neat if they could do X, Y, Z. You know your friends and family. You know your brothers and sisters, the things that bring them that extra little sparkle of joy. Um, figure out how you can be a part of them getting that opportunity. And I don't know, I don't know your, your hobbies and your interests and all of that here. Um, but you know, you know your, your brothers and sisters' activities and the things that make them tick. You know their passions. Um, what can you do to help them to be able to have that? Let's see, I think Crystal likes gardening, if I remember right. Gardening and flowers. Well, well no, I said I wasn't going to get into examples because that's too dangerous. But, okay, if what would what would be the place of a sister or brother thinking, well, what's something I could do that could free her up from her other responsibilities to have a day that she doesn't feel rushed and she can get out there and and tend her garden? That's something small. But those sorts of things, they matter. They're opportunities. They're kairos. They will flee if you don't take advantage of them. Now, when it comes to redeeming the time, as we think about those who are lost, in Acts 14, you have Paul and Barnabas preaching, and they have opposition. You have evil men stirring up people against them, speaking against their message. And then in verse 3 of chapter 14, you have, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace. Here's something for you. Pray for boldness. That might sound kind of scary, but pray for boldness. I think I've often, I think I've more often prayed for opportunities than I have prayed for boldness. So, I was involved with the D.C. street ministry for a number of years. I'm involved with the New York City street ministry. And if I think back to my prayer times leading up to those trips, I can think a lot of, of praying, God, give us opportunities. Bring us to the people that we need to meet. I have had less of a burden praying, God, Give me boldness to speak in the opportunities you give. And 
God gives you a lot of opportunities. God gives me a lot of opportunities. But I often don't have the boldness that Paul and Barnabas had here to step up and take them, to open my mouth. I remember being extremely convicted. I was on a call with a salesman um, quite a number of years ago, and we were talking that sort of little dance you do, um, getting to know each other a little bit. And he seemed, there was something that just seemed like this man would be open. I really need to, I really need to speak to deeper things. I feel like this man would be open. And I didn't. I just kept talking our, you know, fluff, waiting to get to the meat of the call. And after a little bit, he asked me, do you have a good church to attend? I said, well, yes, I do. He said, well, that's good, because I spent yesterday at church. This was on a Monday. And he started trying to witness to me about how important it was to get together with fellow believers and be built up by the word of God. Why didn't I go there first? Now, it's not a race, but I had felt the prompting. I had felt the openness, and I didn't take it. And then when he did, I felt the conviction. God gave the opportunity, and I just stepped back. You have softball players here? You just step back and watch that strike go past? Pray for boldness. Don't stop praying for opportunities, but spend some time praying for boldness to take the ones that he does give you. I'd like to read a few more passages here to just think about how we relate and and the part we play in, in God's message propagating through the world as we, as we wrap this up. Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. I said we're, we're living in a fallen world surrounded by sin. And with all the negatives that brings, it brings the positive that when I step out and live for God, it shines. I can reflect his glory in the midst of that darkness. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Every time I read that, there used to be a trucking firm based in Strasbourg. They're now based a little farther up 81. But I used to see their trucks a lot because they were based there near home. And it's Shine Trucking. And they have a, a cross incorporated into their logo. And on the back of all their tankers, um, it's, it has this verse. Or at least the reference. I, can't, I think it has at least a section of the verse, but it definitely has a reference. And I could always read those um, as long as I was quick enough because 
Even if I saw the truck coming up behind me, it wouldn't take long before he was way out ahead of me. So I could always read what was on the back of that truck because I never saw one doing anything close to the speed limit. I mean, they were barreling up the road. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. I think they were a little dingy. Um, what they were portraying was put the hammer down and make some money. Just wearing your, um, wearing your title of Christian doesn't make you shine in the world. It's what you do. It's how you talk. Read the New Testament. Christians are known by their actions and by their words. Matthew 5, Jesus says, in verses 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. These verses make it obvious we live openly. We interact with the lost. We're not holed up in our own little world. We interact, and our actions are with integrity, living for God, and that shines his light. You want to redeem the time? Live upright and blameless like Job, and let people see God's glory. We also speak for him. 1 Peter 3, verses 15 through 17 say, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be always ready to give a defense to anyone, excuse me, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Am I willing to speak up? Am I willing to open my mouth and give a defense for that hope I have, to give a defense for me believing in salvation, for me believing in a God that personally cares. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Why do you live like you do? Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you think the Bible's true? It says I'm supposed to be ready to open my mouth when people ask those. Not say, go talk to my bishop. And Ephesians 5, verse 11 says, We're not to have fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but to expose them. We live for God. We speak for God. That's not something we can do just huddling down and passing the time. That is how we redeem the time. We live for God. We speak for God. Let's redeem the time. I'll close with a verse from 2 Thessalonians that encapsulates my burden for this evening. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5 says, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Thank you for your time. God bless you.